chapter 3, and then a little bit out of 4, and a little bit out of 5. So, here we go. This is chapter 3, verses 12, uh, 13, and 14. See to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. And this is 4, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is starting in chapter 5. High, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And one who takes this honor on himself But he receives it when he called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, um, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, we have a special privilege this morning. We're going to get to hear from someone who's never spoken here at Hillcrest. I'll invite Daniel Nelson to come on forward. Um, many of you will maybe know Dan because he has been around Hillcrest for a while, but many of you won't because there was a worldwide pandemic where, again, half the world shut down. So if you haven't had the chance to meet Daniel, this is Daniel. Welcome, Daniel, to Hillcrest Stage. <laughs> uh, he's going to be preaching for us this morning. We're glad to have him. Uh, Briarcrest grad uh, felt a call uh, to preaching from the Lord, and so we're happy to see him stepping into that here and serving uh, here in our body. Can I pray for you, Daniel, as we get started? Lord Jesus, we pray for this opportunity to hear from your word. I pray that, uh, again, all the preparation uh, that has gone into this um, moment from Daniel would uh, just serve us all well. Would you help also us to have listening hearts, listening ears, attentive to what you would say to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Graduated from Briarcrest last year, had a good COVID grad, which means not really a grad, 
but I'm sure many of you suffered the same fate. Um, many of you might know me from my time at Boston Pizza. I'm still working there, just the restaurant just up the road. I've been there for nine years. I have enjoyed it. And many of you also might know my wife. Her name is Ashton. Ashton, formerly E.B., now Ashton Nelson. She has a little cleaning business in Karenport, and you may have seen her around here before. She came to Hillcrest before we were married, actually, and now we have returned. So it's good to be back. So we have been going through the book of Hebrews together. And if you remember, we watched a video from the Bible Project a few, video, a few weeks ago, and Tim Mackey, the leader of the Bible Project, he walked us through Hebrews, and he said there's two main points to the book of Hebrews. And the first of that is that Jesus is superior. That's the point of the book of Hebrews. And second, he's warning his first readers, the first readers of the book of Hebrews, to be careful not to fall away from the faith. They're facing persecution around this time, and so he's encouraging them, exhorting them to remain faithful and to be confident in the hope that they have in Jesus. And last week, we heard from Kurt, and he talked about entering into God's rest and the importance of entering into God's rest and how important rest is, and it's something that we probably don't do very well, and it's something that we can improve in in that area, I think. One of the barriers to entering into God's rest that Kurt talked about is that we are sinful. We have fallen short of God's glory, and Kurt walked us through this at the end of chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. I'll just read them quickly. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, as Tim Mackey says in the Bible Project, this should make us uncomfortable because we have a God who sees all of our thoughts, all of our intentions. And that can be kind of, that can be scary. We fall short. All of us fall short. We fall short of the glory of God. We've sinned. Every one of us, except for one man, and his name is Steve Atkins. No, just kidding. It's Jesus, of course. So it should make us uncomfortable, but it shouldn't make us afraid. And the next verses that I'll read for us will explore why. Verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Okay, so we have reference here to Jesus as the high priest. And for the first readers of Hebrews, they would understand pretty well what the high priest did, what his role was, how important he was. But for us in 21st century Canada, in Moose Jaw, we probably don't understand the role of the high priest too well. So I'm going to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about the high priest and his role in ancient Israel, what he would do. So in ancient Israel, you have one high priest at a time, and he is a mediator between God and man. Once a year, this high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, a place inside the temple, and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And in that way, the people would receive forgiveness from their sins. So the way the temple was built, 
They have the temple, the big building. Think of it maybe like this church. And then in the inner part of the temple, you have a sanctuary, which is where we are right now. And then that's called the holy place. But then you have the holy of holies, the holiest place. And that would be behind a curtain, behind a veil. And behind the curtain, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant housed the Ten Commandments. So Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments from God. And he comes back, and they build an Ark, and they put the Ten Commandments in the Ark. And they build the temple. They build the sanctuary. They have the Holy of Holies. And they put the Ten Commandments there. And Exodus tells us that God says he will speak to his people from the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So for the people of Israel, they associated the Ark of the Covenant with God's very presence. So you have the temple, you have the sanctuary, and you have the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ten Commandments are, and that's where God's very presence is. And it's an incredibly holy, holy place, the holiest place for any Israelite. If you remember, there's a story in the Old Testament of a character named Uzziah, and the Israelites defeat the Philistines, they recover the Ark of the Covenant that's been stolen, but they carry it back improperly, they're not very careful with it, and the cart they're carrying it on hits a bump, and Uzziah reaches to steady the cart, and he touches the Ark of the Covenant, and he's struck dead. And we think, maybe that's a little harsh, maybe that's a little severe, but this is the very presence of God. And they had been instructed to carry it in a certain way, and they disobeyed. So that highlights the importance, the holiness, that the Ark of the Covenant has. And the Holy of Holies was a place that nobody goes to except for the high priest once a year. Jews, to this day, still celebrate that day. It's called the Day of Atonement, or if you're a Jew, it's called Yom Kippur. And on that day, the high priest will go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain, and he will offer a sacrifice. He'll offer a spotless goat, and then he'll splash the blood of the goat around, and in that way, he will cleanse the people from their sins. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the high priest. Hopefully, we understand a little bit better the role of the high priest. And we'll continue on in chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll read more about what the high priest does and who he is. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Remember again the point of the book, Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to the high priest in that he doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. Instead, he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Continuing on in verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Now we have two quotations here from the Psalms, from the Old Testament, and some of you in your Bibles might see a little note beside them telling you where these quotes are from. So the first one is a quote that says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's a quote from Psalm 2. Now we won't read it all, and you're just going to have to trust me. That's a psalm about, G or about God talking about the Messiah and that he's the anointed king. And he is the king of kings, 
Other kings will try to fight against God and his king, and they're going to lose because they're inferior to Jesus, the king, the king of kings. So that psalm talks about Jesus as king. And then the next psalm, Psalm 110, says this, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what's interesting about this is that in the first psalm, he's referred to as a king, Jesus, and in the second psalm, he's referred to as a priest. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament system, you can't be a priest and a king at the same time. If you're a priest, you come from the tribe of Levi, and if you're a king, you come from the tribe of Judah, two different tribes. And you can't be a priest and a king at the same time within that system, unless you're Jesus. Then you break the category of that. And you see also this mention of Melchizedek. He's kind of an obscure character. We don't know tons about him. We meet him in Genesis 14. He blesses Abram. Abram comes on his journey. He comes into Jerusalem. And Melchizedek is the priest and the king of Jerusalem, which is interesting. And Abram, uh, Melchizedek blesses Abram, and Abram tithes to Melchizedek. So the mention of Melchizedek here is that he's another priest, king. So he comes before the time of the Old Testament covenant time, before Israel has really formed as a nation. I mean, he's a priest and a king. So the author of Hebrews here is indicating that Jesus, like Melchizedek, is both a priest and a king, which, if you're a Jew, it sounds like a contradiction in terms. It's like a breaking of categories. But after we've seen what the high priest, what his role is to act as a mediator between God and man, we see that's exactly what Jesus does. Continuing on, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death when he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So let's remember again the two points of the book of Hebrews. One, Jesus is superior. And two, hold fast despite persecution. So the author of Hebrews here, to encourage his readers, reminds them how much Jesus suffered. Jesus himself suffered with loud cries and tears towards God. And he didn't want to go to his death in this way, but he did. And because he suffered in this way, the author says, he was made perfect, and he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. For the last year and a half-ish, since I've graduated from Briarcrest, I've been really interested in apologetics. That's the defending the Christian faith. So discussing the big questions of, is it reasonable to think that God exists? And probably the biggest objection that I hear to Christianity is the question of suffering. How could a good God allow evil in the world? And many people think that there's no good answer to that. And I think they're wrong. I think we see a compelling answer in Jesus. He didn't have to die on the cross the way he did. But he did. For us, he suffered. He didn't have to suffer like that. Couldn't God have stopped that? Well, of course he could have. But because he didn't, we have eternal salvation, it says. Jesus is superior to the other high priests in that instead of offering sacrifices for himself, 
he offers himself as the sacrifice. And after he did this, as he's dying on the cross, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell us that at the time of his death upon the cross, the veil in the temple is torn. The veil that separates the presence of God from his people is torn. The barrier between you and God is broken. Amen? Amen. No longer do we have to go to the high priest so that he can once a year offer sacrifices to God for forgiveness of our sins. Instead, through Jesus, we have direct access to the Father. We have direct access to the forgiveness of sins anytime that we want. And this is not just good news. This is the good news. So with this in mind, let's reread Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oftentimes we think when we sin, some of us anyway, that it's, it's too hard to go to God. It's scary. And it is scary. But he already knows what you've done. It's like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God in the garden. And we kind of laugh at it. Because how can you hide from God? You can't. He already knows what you've done. And we're one day going to stand before God and answer for all the things that we've done. And this isn't a way where we can say, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. Like, they're worse than me, so haha, they get to get judged, but I don't. It's like, no, you do too. And, and we all fall immeasurably short. It's not like we're going to get there and God's going to say, yeah, you were good enough. You didn't really need my death for you to save me. We do. We need that. We don't get to compare ourselves with each other like that. That's not how it works. We all fall short, and we all need this. So with that truth, let us then with confidence, some translations say, let us boldly then draw near to the throne of grace. And who sits on a throne? It's a king. Jesus, our king. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We all need that mercy. We all need that grace. The veil has been torn. The curtain has been broken. So it's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for the city of Musha. It's my prayer for everyone that we would understand the mercy and grace that we have in Jesus and that we have direct access to the Father through him. Amen.